Hello, this is Ali Baker and welcome back to Fantasy Book Swap. This was recorded live at Conversation 2023, the 2023 Easter Con, and it's with Carrie Sperring. For some reason, my recording device didn't work at the beginning of this recording, so I'm going to repeat my introduction now. Hello, I'm Ali Baker, she, her, a children's fantasy literature researcher and education lecturer at the University of East London. You're listening to Fantasy Book Swap, where a guest and I choose a book and we discuss them. Today, I am joined by Carrie Sperring, author, historian and conrunner and guest of honour at EasterCon 23. Hello, what have you been up to? missed because of assorted things we will not name no we won't name those things but they were pretty awful they were yes so you chose silver brumby yay you <laughs> say people um you've got the this is the original edition that i read when i was a young person in 1753 and so <laughs> And, and I love the, the fact that it's a green dragon on yes. the front of it. I felt so grown up when I was reading that. I think oh, I was yeah. about 10. Yes. Or 11. Yeah. I, yeah. Was, I think I, I found, it, found it when I was eight because, okay, so like a lot of girls, I was actually a horse mm-hmm. for about three years um, between the ages of eight and 11. And I was in my local library uh, which was in Radcliffe on Trent in Nottinghamshire, and this was in 1700 mm-hmm. because I'm really old. <laughs> and I found a book called, in fact, Silver Brumby Kingdom, which had, a, I took it off the shelf because I, I didn't know what the Brumby word meant. And it had horses on the front. It was a hardback with a green dust jacket. And I just fell in love with the cover, took the book home, discovered it was the last of a series, said to my mum, can next time we go? into town, which would be Nottingham. Can I have a book, please? And my mother, we never had comics because she said, save it up, we'll get a book. And I felt really grown up because Green Dragons were for older boys and girls. Yes. Mm. And I was really supposed to be still be on Red Dragon. Mm. But I love this book with an unholy passion, as you can probably see from the state of this copy. Yeah. It it's looks, it's a very loved book. It is. You can tell. It's, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's got, I don't know what to think, what I've dropped on the pages somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've read it, I, I think I got it out of um, my secondary school library. Yes. So, yeah, and um, I, I did, absolutely loved it. And I didn't know it was part of a series. So I've got, I'm going to find all the rest of them and read them as well. I think I've read uh, The Son of the yes. Silver Brumby or something like that, but yeah. no, I don't think I've read the others. So there are six, I think, in total. Um, so the Silver Brumby, Silver, Silver Brumby's Daughter, Silver Brumby's of the South, Silver Brumby Kingdom, Moon Filly, Silver Brumby Whirlwind. Wow. Yeah, and, and then Son of the Whirlwind, that's right, yes, which I do also have. And they follow the horse family through three generations in the first four books and then in the, the, the one set the set starting with Moon Philly are, are connected but they then follow a different set horse family. They, they inter, 
intersect with the main character of the Silver Brumby, who is Thaura, uh, again through three generations. Mm. And I don't think I knew how to say Thaura. I'm still not sure I do. Yes. <laughs> Yes, it's, which is one of the things that maybe we'll come to. So what, what memories do you have? Do you have a very distinct memory of reading it and where you were? And, um, you know, what, what do you remember about it? I remember basically feeling like I'd fallen into a magic world, mm. which was the I'd only previously experienced with C.S. Lewis. And I think probably Alice in Wonderland, but I was three the first time I met that, so I don't really mm. remember. And it was a world that was completely unlike anything else I knew, which was not true of mm. Narnia. Narnia is really quite British, mm. even though it is a lot posher than me. Mm. Uh, but the thing with this was it, was, it was the first time I think I met the other mm. in a way that allowed, where you are completely and utterly immersed in that character, that character's world. And it is not explained. You explore and learn, because this Silver Brumby starts, it's, it basically charts the first about four years, five years, of a, silver, of, of a wild horse stallion. And it starts with his birth. So you learn the world of Thaura explores the world, and the horses behave like horses. There are, are humans, but they're not important. I mean, they are a threat, Mm. But they don't have names. Um, they don't really have any distinction other than what horse they ride, um, mm. because that doesn't matter. And it was this. And then there was the fact. I mean, I was a small child of Anglo-Welsh descent living in Nottinghamshire. I was aware of the existence of Australia. That's where kangaroos were, because no small child could not know about kangaroos, because kangaroos are very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yes. But that was all I knew. Oh, and, and also, this is for the old people. Skippy the bush kangaroo. Yes. With Lisa Goddard. But I, hadn't, I didn't know anything about history of Australia or the fact that the, the invasive species and the colonisation. And these books, which are about horses, which are an invasive species, actually speak to mm. the world that is Australia... Um, completely, the world that is not the world of white colonialism and um, English in a weird sort of way. The names, the the descriptions, and the, the the range of animals that appear are native Australian, and I was mesmerised. It was this, it was beautiful, and I just, I mean, I did want to marry Thaura, <laughs> which oh, is yes. difficult because he's an imaginary horse. <laughs> um, I also wanted to marry his grandson, Beringa. But, you know, mares do as they please. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I, I think that I, I'm not sure I realised it was set in Australia for quite a long time. Because, again, like you, I didn't know anything about Australia apart from kangaroos and snakes. But I'm kind of funnel web spiders oh, I don't and think so on. I, yeah, I didn't learn about those till later. Yeah. But one of the lovely things about it is that they, it, the, every chapter has an image. Yes. I'm not sure you can properly see that, but that is a picture of a, of a bird with very floofy uh, head. And it's got at the bottom of it, kookaburra. Yes. And so I had no idea what a kookaburra was or what a wombat was or whatever. Wombat. Yeah, the wombat's a lovely <laughs> picture. 
Yeah. And so you you kind of reading this, it could have been another planet. Yeah. It could have been an imaginary land. But it I kind of internalized yes. a lot of it. And so I think later on when I found out more about Australia, I remembered the things that I'd read. Um and it's set in the snowy mountains. Um, and so it's not a part of Australia that mm-hmm. is kind of, you know, you'd see a lot of things about the outback or you see lots of things about Sydney or this other cities. But yeah, this is set in a very particular place. And the language is yes. so beautiful. She was such a talented writer and she writes with such sympathy and with such empathy and she was she she is I don't think I realized this for years and years and years certainly not as a child Mm. she was deeply passionately committed to the environment and the protection of the environment and the protection of native species she does address that the horses are invasive Mm. you know that they don't completely belong in the way that the kangaroos and the wombats and the dingoes and so on do and she speaks I think these were this was the first time I met death in a book in a meaningful way it was the first time that I met persecution in a book mm-hmm. um, because she is absolutely unflinching why they were I don't know I mean I've never understood exactly I think because horse books I suppose they were children's books but I mean you have to deal with in about the fourth chapter the, the dominant stallion Sarah's mm. father, with whom he doesn't interact because foals don't, is killed by another stallion. Mm. Um, you have the problems of, of the foals being, the, the yearlings and two year olds being driven off by the new stallion. You have being hunted by men. You have threat of fire. They mm. are, some of them are terrifying. I mean, to this day, there's a scene in Silver Brumby Kingdom where there is a, a fire and everyone is fleeing in multiple directions and all the characters lose track of each other. Mm. And there is a you know, you know, and who's dead? Because mm. anyone can die in these. There's always a threat. And the... Thara is, is afraid. He's a big, powerful, strong stallion, but he's terrified of men. He's really terrified of fire. Mm. Um, and she makes you live that life. It's just... A, ah. mm. She's such an amazing writer. And people go, oh, those are girls' books. Oh. Oh. I can't remember who said it. This was year, a few years ago now. There was an article, I think, in the New York Times, and the, the author said, if there's one thing our culture really hates, it's teenage girls. Oh, it's true. Yeah. yeah. Anything a teenage girl likes must be automatically complete rubbish. I remember having an argument about this um, at, uh, looking at Tony Keane now, uh, not with Tony, Tony did not was not involved in this argument, but it was at an event that Tony was was running a, a science fiction masterclass, and I am not a fan of Twilight in any way, but the fact that it was being spoken of with such distaste yes. because it's a girl's book really made me angry. Yes. And so I suddenly started passionately defending it and saying, "No, no, no, it's." Yeah, it, it's okay. It's a love story. It's a you know, it's a, a, a slightly tragic love story. But what books aren't? Yes. Oh, absolutely. But there's so many books that are, are tragic love stories, and you know, it's very problematic in many ways. Um, and but that whole that whole idea of 
having a love that could be doomed yes. is an enormous part of, of Western literary canon. So why are we despising these books? Mm. Because they're written for girls. Whereas Romeo and Juliet is art. Yes, exactly. Because yeah. it's written by a man. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's old. Yeah. And <laughs> so. I mean, that's another thing. Women writers are expected to write about the domestic, the small scale. Mitchell, absolutely not. No. no. This is epic. It's epic. <coughs> Somebody said to me yesterday, oh, but it's not fantasy. It is fantasy, in mm. a sense. It's got the... It's, well, it's talking horses. It's also got that, that sense of wonder that we yes. talk about because it is completely alien. Mm. You know, if she doesn't make the horses behave like people. Has anyone read Pony's Plot? Yeah. Yeah. So this is a book from, I can't remember who wrote it, but it's a book told from the point of view of a set of horses on a riding school. And it's very, very funny, but they behave like humans. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that the fact that it is written from the perspective of a horse, mm. the fact that um, it is an epic, yes. and uh, the the way that it's written and the kind of dynastic elements of it, I think does does make it speculative fiction. Oh, completely, yes. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And different kinds of hierarchy and different kinds of social order and different expectations as well. Um yeah. I'm, I'm just going to read it. Having mentioned that the language is so beautiful, I'm going to read a little bit of it. Thaura and Storm were both really frightened by the excitement of the great stallion, their father, and the curiosity of the other mares and foals. One huge chestnut foal sniffed at Thaura and then gave him a sharp, unpleasant bite on the wither. Thara dodged behind Belle-Belle, who promptly laid her ears back and chased the foal away. A small, mean-looking brown mare came prancing up and bared her teeth at Belle-Belle. "'That's my foal, Belle-Belle,' she snarled. "'Should have thought as much,' Belle-Belle said. "'There's nothing in your looks that a foal could take after, so he has to be the image of his father.' But when that brown mare had moved off and left them, she said to Thara, Watch that foal, son. It may only be as much as a week older than you, but it's much bigger. And though it's got its father's looks, it has inherited its mother's mean spirit. Mm. So the kind of the balance of the sentences, yes. the way they flow, um, there's the description is very spare, but you can really picture that scene. And I think it's wonderful. Yeah, I do. And the, the arrow is the, the, the other foal. He's a serious threat. I mean, mm. You know, right from the minute... These, these are foals who are a few weeks old at this point, maybe even a few days. Mm. He, he, that, that's a threat because that's how young male foals, young male horses behave to each other. And, you know, very dangerous. Mm. Um, yeah, that, totally about asserting dominance yes. amongst each other. Yeah. Yeah, and hierarchies amongst the mares, and yeah. Mm. My, um, I think where I link um, Silver Brumby is with um, doing. Do people know of Judith Tarr's writing? Yes, yes. It yes. reminds me of Judith Tarr's writing. And Judith Tarr is um, she owns a farm of. Um, Palomino horses? Lipizzano. Lipizzano horses. She rescues Lipizzanas um, yeah. to her ranch in Arizona. Um, and they're all elderly and they're all 
mad. Mm. It's well worth following Judy on social media because the stories of her adventures with her horses are just mm. fascinating. And my favourite book by her is called A Wind in Cairo. Oh, yes, that's such a good book. Oh, good. I'm glad yes. people are nodding at me and agreeing. But the, the way that um, Judy told, tells a story from the point of view of a horse, I think, really reminds yes. me of, of Elaine Mitchell's yeah, I work. Think, I think she has, she, she has said, you know, this Mitchell was an influence. Oh, how wonderful. Because, yeah. I mean, because there, are, there really aren't that many wild horse books. The other... The only other one I can really think of is the Misty of Chincoteague yes. by Margaret Henry. The rest yeah. are all race horses, show jumping, yeah. gymkhana, ponies, you know, not the horses as as mm. horses as subject. Mm. I don't don't think even Black Beauty No. Because it's a very moral very. story and written to to sort of persuade uh, readers of, of how horses should be treated, working horses should be treated. Mm. I, even that, I don't think is is as good. No, I, I, I mean she she is head and shoulders. And this is not to say that some of these other writers about of horse books aren't good writers. There's some very good writers, but mm. Elaine Mitchell is special in a way that it, she she transcends. She, it's a good children's book. It, it's not a, just a good pony book. Mm. Um, but that's because pony books are for girls. Yes, yeah, which is weird because, you know, there's plenty of boys that, that like horses. And until this, the 20th century, really and truly, horses were very much a male preserve. Mm. I mean, you know, this was, women were expected to sit on a nice, quiet gelding yes. and behave while the men all sort of showed off how fine their mounts were. And all of a sudden, horses have lost status and have become a, become a female-gendered thing. Yeah, it's interesting how when things start being seen as the preserve of, of women and girls, that they, they lose status, um, which is interesting. Mm. Or gain status. Yes. Like, for example, if you think about the Beatles, the band, the Beatles, not the animals, but, you know, <laughs> when they were a kind of a boy band from Liverpool, they were like, oh, it's just for screaming girls. Yes. And then as soon as they started growing their hair and playing sitars, all of a sudden they're... Cool, yeah. Cool musos, yes. yeah, um, and okay for boys to like. Do you feel? Do you think that the Silver Brumby has had an influence on your own writing? Yes, absolutely. I think the um, the otherness and the the idea that a, a hero doesn't have to be human doesn't have to. I mean, I, I, I the age I am. Most of the books that you got given to read fo- focused on boys because. Mm. Even female writers were encouraged to put have a main male character because it was all about getting boys to read because mm-hmm. the assumption was girls would read anything. I have never, ever, ever read Tom Sawyer because everyone kept trying to make me read it and I went, I am not reading that, that's a boy's book. Just, mm. to, be, just to make a point, but I read so many books and, and this was something that was so different and it, the gender doesn't matter mm. because it's not people, it's not... Here we are in Narnia, and yes, I've got Lucy, but it's Peter and Edmund who have all the adventures. Mm. Um, or here we are with the Famous Five, or and I'm an Anne, mm. and we're all supposed to be Georges. George is the is the approved girl, yes, because she's like a boy in the show. It's yeah. almost as good as, as a boy. boy. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Aria Sansa thing again. Yes, yes. I'm I'm a, I'm a Sansa. I'm an Anne. I don't want to be a man. I never have wanted to be a man or a boy. 
and, and it was just subtle denigration all the way through. And, but mm. this is not the case. You have the second one of these, Konami, who is, who is the female, uh, the daughter. Yeah, she's just as interesting and curious and peculiar and strange and powerful as her father and then her son in, in Baringa. And then again, you meet the other female characters in the Moon Philly mm. series. Um, and they are powerful, strong, with agency. But I had to read about horses to find agency. Uh, as reading, rereading this as an adult, I really like um, the relationship between um, Miri and Belle Belle. Yes. The two, um, the two, two mares. So Belle Belle is Thaura's mother and um, Miri is Storm's mother. Yes. And they are really good friends. And it, it's, it's really, it's, that's also delightful yes. to read. In a children's book, a relationship between two, um, well, grown-up uh, women, except they're horses. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. so yeah. Like the, the, that's really great um, to, uh, to have that. As, because even, I mean, we all know that like, the, there's a trope of kill the parents in, in children's books. So the negative side of that is we don't often see models of relationships between adults that are not focused around... Um, you know, them trying to stop people or, mm. you know, stop the children or whatever. Um, and, I mean, it's that's one of the reasons why children's books were so often set in boarding schools yes. is because to get the children away from parents. But that that's lovely. That's yes. a really nice thing to read uh, is, you know, even though their primary focus, their primary status is who their foal is, they still chat to each other. They still, you know, work together to protect the falls, mm. and and that's really lovely yeah, as well. Absolutely. And you also have the um, the ways that relationships later on with the, between other mares, uh, mm. because this is a a society where yes, the stallion is the, the kind of does the fighting and is the whatever and leads the herd, but it's the relationships between the mares that's providing the stability. So that later on, when Thara has his own collection of girlfriends. While he has a favourite girlfriend who is, you know, another silver brumby, the one he relies on, the sensible one, is a different one, Boon Boon, and she's a lovely character. I always like Boon Boon because she's sensible and intelligent, and she's very like Melda. She's a, you know, there's a lot of modelling of, of female intelligence and female ability to interpret the world mm. in a in a way that's constructive in these books. They're just they're lovely. But yeah, I, I think that I mean, I think it's wonderful. Firstly, it's still in print. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Uh, because many, many of my favourite books from ch children's books do go out of print very yes. quickly. And not all of these are still in print outside Australia because I gather that there's been a f huge, there was a huge fight between her heirs after she died. Oh, and yeah. that some of them are still tied up in that. Um, but yes, th th this one is still in print, certainly. Mm. Yeah, my, mine is an, uh, Collins' Essential Modern Classic. And I would agree with yes. that. Yeah, Son, yeah. Of, Son of the Whirlwind is eighty pounds for a ratty paperback. Though. Good grief! I know. Wow. Yeah. So if you've got one in your loft, you know, <sighs> whack it on eBay or wherever. Hey, people will extract my copy from my out of my cold death hands. <laughs> <laughs> hands off my brumby books. <laughs> yeah. I, 
funnily enough, I think one of the reasons why I read a lot of these kind of books as a at secondary school was because the first three years of my secondary school, we didn't read a single book about a girl. Oh, God, yes, I know this one. Oh, yeah. The Goalkeeper's Revenge. Oh. Yeah. And unfortunately, Tom Sawyer was one of the books I had to read. Yeah. And Endless Leon Garfield, who's a good writer, but really... Yeah, uh, yeah. I do. I love Leon Garfield. Um, but yes, he is a very kind of... A very terse writer, yes, I And think. a very... It's boys having adventures, you know. Yeah. Boys, boys, boys. And almost no female characters at all. And oh, it's dull. Even and, in the, the Strange Affair of Adelaide Harris yes. by Garfield, although the book is... Uh, has the name of a girl in the title. It's actually about two boys. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. Yes, thank goodness for um, K.M. Payton and people like that. Yeah, I read a lot of Flambards yes. as, as a, as a, um, yes, a teenage girl. Yeah. Um, okay, I think we'll move on to talking about the second book, um, which is Abyssinia by Ursula Du... I should have practised this. Dubasarsky, and who is also an Australian writer. And I will read the. I have. I always read blurb in as part of the podcast, but I have a real problem with this blurb. I think it's terrible. It is terrible. Um, for every child that is lost, said Doctor Fleet, his voice dropping, so she that she was not even sure he was really speaking. Another must be found. Sarah shook her head at the floor. In the circle, whispered Dr. Fleet. There can be no gaps, no spaces, loss and gain, a child for a child. There is a circle, a child for a child for a child. The children play with a mysterious doll's house on a remote Australian property named Abyssinia. Or are the children really dolls themselves? Inspired by a, the historic house and farm at Rouse Hill in the west of Sydney. So, why not just put the whole mystery of the book yes. on the on the back cover? Ah! So, yeah. What did you think about Abyssinia? It's a very, it's very, a very interesting read. Um, I, I think it's a book that if I'd read when I was. 10 I probably found quite frightening um, mm. because there is a huge amount of uncertainty and a huge amount of insecurity the, the, the characters whose viewpoints you are in predominantly are very unsafe where they are they mm. don't know where they, whether they really belong anymore they don't know what's upright what's right and there is an enormous sense of porous boundaries um, mm. and adults as either remote or dangerous and and also there's when you get sort of most of the way through it you start realizing that some of the characters are actually the same people at different ages which mm. is it reminded me of Margaret Mahi the mm. New Zealand writer and a bit of Diana Wynne Jones it's a very it's a very interesting book it's quite a grim book in a certain sort of way and mm. there's a lot that's not explained I think I liked it but at the same time I did think this is quite disturbing mm. um yeah, I think I think I would have loved it uh, because I was a slightly disturbing child <laughs> and, and I was quite morbid. Um, but I it, I thought it was, a, again, really beautifully written. Yes, her writing is gorgeous. Yeah, 
And the, one of the things I really liked about it is that it's quite multimodal mm. because at certain points throughout the book, there are these little, um, little sort of pretend newsletters because the children that inspired this book wrote newsletters for their families. So the first one is uh, 23rd of January, 1891, the Abyssinian Gazette editor-in-chief, Grace Wren. And so it tells you, it introduces some characters actually in this form, mm. and then you don't go back and meet them later on. As you yes. say, sometimes not at the same it's not a linear, not at all linear. Um, yeah. text at all, and it, it demands a lot of the reader. It does. I and think. I think it's surprisingly funny and unexpected places yes. as well. I mean, in the, I'm going to read now. Um, the, the, so the missing children is a thread, and you know, it's a, apparently Augustus had made several threats that he was going to run away, but naturally nobody believed him. Police have circulated a description. He is small, with messy hair, brown eyes, and his sister said that his face was dirty. This is the second tragedy for this unfortunate family. Earlier this year, they lost their daughter, Susanna, in circumstances that are very unclear. But it is believed that she was left behind after a riotous picnic and was not able to be retrieved. <laughs> yes, and it, that is sort of explained later on, but at the same time, it, this is the, you know, the, the opening of the book, and you think, what on earth? And, and she's in dialogue with little women, and mm. she's in dialogue with picnic hanging rock. Yes, and and she and and all the. I mean, there are many, many dull novels. Again, mm. books for girls. You've missed some fantastic books if you didn't read some of these things because they're books for girls. Little Women is is definitely something that that it reminded me of because Little Women is also a multimodal yes. text, isn't it? Yes. And and uh, sort of. Different chapters are in different styles, and you know the Pickwick Papers chapter of of Little Women is is hilarious. Yeah, it is really I is. love it. So you've you've mentioned doll fantasies. Um, what is it about? Was doll fantasies something that you read a lot of absolutely. as a child? Yes, absolutely. And I still again, I still have most of those um, writers like Helen Clare and Rummer Garden and mm. my. I mean, I very nearly, I sort of got my, what am I going to pick? And one of the ones that I thought about couldn't justify as fantasy was Miss Happiness and Miss Flower yeah. by Rama Godden, which for those who have not met this book, it is a book written for rather younger children. Mm. And it's actually about the experience of being a, a, an involuntary migrant. Mm. Um, because it's a, a, but it's told partly as the story of the little girl, Nona, who has been returned. She'd never lived in England. Um, she was born and brought up in Japan, but she's been sent back to England because by her parents to live with the cousins. And she's terrified and horrified, and it's cold, and she doesn't like the food, and she doesn't understand anything. And it, she has dolls. Someone sends her a pair of Japanese dolls, who are the Miss Happiness and Miss Flower. So it's partly about Nona and coming to terms with her cousins, and partly the dolls mm. themselves and their experience. And the children decide to build a Japanese doll's house. Mm. And there's actually instructions in the back of the book, and I always wanted to make one, and I never did. Yes. Because <laughs> my father couldn't do carpentry. <laughs> and I didn't have a brother. But yeah, I mean, doll books, again, I think it's like horse books. Dolls are a way in which girls and boys and 
non-binary children as well, really, can explore alternative identities. And you're, through your dolls, you can live out all sorts of possibilities and realities. And it's interesting with doll books how often the dolls are unreasonable. Yes, the stroppiness of dolls, which of course you're not allowed to be yourself, but Helen Clare, five dolls in a house. Yeah. Vanessa is so bossy. Yes. <laughs> and you never get away with it. And I love the fact that in this, and you don't know who are the dolls and who are the real children, really. But again, the, the, the abstrapid the little the Gussie. Gussie. Oh, Gussie. she's a monster. <laughs> she is. I mean, she's little Mai, but uh, almost. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But, but completely without um, a social conscience, yeah. really, which, yeah, you're right, it, that is an unusual thing to have children who are protagonists as being, um, ob you know, slightly obnoxious it is quite unusual. It is. Dido Twite is the only one I can think of immediately. Oh, I love yes. Dido Twite. Yes. I, I had a very odd relationship with both her and Pippi Longstocking because I was a very obedient small girl for family reasons. And therefore, I found Pippi and, and Dido and Little Mai a bit scary because mm. uh, they, they looked like they were the kind of pe person who'd get you into trouble. Yes. Um, and Gussie, I think I would have wanted to be friends with, with Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> Not Gussie. Gussie is dangerous. I, I think I'm, I would be a Sarah, but I would, I would admi sort of admire and be a bit frightened of Gussie. Mm. Yeah. I'd, I'd think that, um, I think that's, that it's an amazingly well done book um, and I will be passing this on to my niece who's my mini me uh, and she is uh, uh, an, un another big reader in oh, our family excellent. so she 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 benefits from me doing a podcast yes. very uh, very much I, I should look for some other books by the same writer because I think this is she's very good and as I say reminds me of Margaret Mahi, who is being forgotten mm. and wrote amazing books. Yes, so. she did. She wrote some wonderful, kind of spooky, <gasps> really, really, really scary, big, scary books. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really yeah. dark and clever and strange and challenging. And I mean, she was more YA, I guess. Yes, I think so. Yeah. She has, she wrote very complex characters she did. as well. Yes. So yes. That, that's wonderful. But yes, I have, this is a terribly, terrible thing to say, and I apologise to male persons and male-identified persons in the room, but the men in this are kind of semi-absent. All yeah. of the action is, even though Augustus, Gus, does have a, does do travelling and so on, he isn't really in any way a Nexus character. It's no. all around the female characters, which I love. And Dr Fleet is, um, who's men mentioned on the back, is a, a, a very much an external threat, mm. and he's very a very ambiguous yes. character that doesn't feel like a, a sort of safe. He's not a safe character to not be reading, no. you know, no. or being around in in the in the protagonist's lives. So no, yeah, yeah, and he's you know they, in that she's very good at the way that children, the child's gaze at the adult, mm. and the way that you know that. that they don't understand and they rationalise and you know the connections in in their heads of why of Dr. Fleet being connected with threats and why and particularly with the removal of mothers mm. and motherly affection. Yeah. Uh, very wonderful. Yeah. So yes, highly recommended. Mm. 
we've got uh, audience questions. What what questions do you have? Or you know, share your own favourite doll or horse book, whatever. Good. Do we have a mic? Thank you. Can someone? Oh, thank you, Wendy. I think Wendy was my my mic wench last time as well. <laughs> Can you show the cover of the second book again? I love that cover. It's a lovely cover. It's actually I find that kind of doll quite scary, so it's quite a scary cover of you. Oh yeah, those those sorts of um, China dolls. Okay. Yes, I'm quite sure they're evil. Yes, me yeah. Too. Hello. Hello, I'm Julia Daly, and I read lots of children's books still Hi. I just love them I think they're so interesting um, when I was very young my first hero was Amelia Jane from the Enid Blyton toy books yeah who said Amelia Jane I just thought that was wonderful yes. she was deliberately rude and obstructive and always things I wasn't allowed to be so I've always thought she was great um, I did read a lot of other horse books in my sort of later years um and most of them had a boy protagonist, so yes. you've got all the Black Stallion books, and um, I can't remember, there was a series of ones in the Snowy Mountains with a boy who was yes. riding the range. And, and my friend Flicker. Yes, yes. and that sort yes. of thing. So you know, all of those had boys in them, but yet I used to go up the riding stables and slave like a, a dog all day and scrounge rides and all that sort of thing. Um, and there weren't many boys doing that. No, no. But the top levels of horse riding was all male, pretty yeah. much. Mm. which was always very unfair. Anyway, that's, that's sort of my commentary. <laughs> no, I, I think that my sisters did exactly the same thing. I read about the horses, mm. but my sisters did the cycling to the local riding stable, shoveling manure all day so that they could get to ride a horse because we couldn't afford riding lessons. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely that. The slave labour of small girls is, is what the riding you know, industry relies on totally. Uh, another question. Oh, hello, Tiffany. So a couple things. Carrie, you said you never had to read Jane Sawyer, and part of that is probably because you weren't a kid in America. We all had to read it. Um, but I was curious. Um, you mentioned Black Stallion, and that was what I was going to ask. Were those books at all popular in the UK? Oh, yes. Because that's what we had in the States, and we never really had, a, unfortunately, a girl protagonist equivalent. And so, and so I was curious about those. I hadn't even thought about them for years until they were around. Was yeah. I mean, the Jill and the Perfect Pope. Jill and the Perfect Pope. There were there, so there was Ruby Ferguson who wrote the Jill books, uh, and the Romney Marsh books were they her? Can't remember. No, they were someone else. And then there were the Pauline Thompson sisters. Yeah. Yeah. Josephine, Christine, and the other one, <laughs> <laughs> Diana, and they were all middle class girls winning prizes at Jim Carners. There was Flambards, which yes. was set in uh, just before the First World War and was about upper-class riding, but, but also had a very, very interesting protagonist. And then Kay and Peyton, who wrote those, also wrote a series which started with Fly By Night about a character who was working-class and ordinary and basically managed to scrounge up money to get a horse. And, and the struggles Ruth has to maintain that, it, that was... But, the boy protagonists that I met were mostly in the American books, I have to say. The British ones, Prove Yourself a Hero, which is one of the K.M. Paytons. Again, mm. a, um, that's about that's a kind of children's version of Dick Francis' racing thriller. Mm. That's the only place I can think. And that K.M. Payton was a woman. Follyfoot. Oh, Follyfoot, yes. By Monica Dickens. Yes. That had, uh, that had 
boys and girls yes, it did. in it. And it was also one of the characters in that was a working class child who was uh, struggling to, because they wanted to buy yes. a horse. And uh, Follyfoot was a, a riding stables owned by the major um, who was kind of an, uh, as is often the case in, in uh, children's books of that era, era an impecunious um, upper class uh, man. Mm. So, yeah. And I think they had foster children in it as well, yes, if I remember. Is it Callie in Cobbler's Dream who's yeah. living with them as a foster? Yes. Yeah. But they, they were also televised. Yes. And there was the film of The Black Stallion, which I remember going to see at the cinema. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had a, we had a, a community centre which doubled, oh, well, still there, where my mum and dad live, which doubles up as, as a cinema, um, you know, at the weekends. And, you, you, you know, it used to be quite a common thing that while mm. the parents did the shopping, they gave their kids 20p and pointed them in the direction <laughs> of the cinema. And so I, I spent a lot of my time on Saturday mornings trying to stop my, my sisters from fighting while we were at the cinema. Yeah, they won't, they won't. Uh, I might cut that out, actually. Might edit that bit. Um, Dr. Bob, you had a question. Hello. Yeah, I, I just, I love the Silver Brumby books all the bits. And I think the Silver Brumby books and Watership Down, because they were from a yes. point of the animal, maybe have accidentally ended up me training as a zoologist <laughs> back, in, back in the day. Um, so, yeah, I highly recommend it. Um, the, the, the one I found while well, I was a kid, but quite late compared to the Bromby books, which is another from the horse's viewpoint, is Helen Griffith's um, uh, Blackface Stallion. Oh, I, I don't know that I, one. I know that she one. writes a lot from the viewpoint of the animal, but they're not all about horses, and she writes a lot of stuff set in Spain and round about the Spanish Civil War, Ooh. which is about. Um, I've got a technical name, but the bullfighters that ride horses. And yes. But this uh, was one set in Mexico in the desert about wild horses, which is based on Hope Ryden's um, non-fiction. Hope Ryden, uh, a biologist who studied the wild horses, she does not do happy endings. Uh, ah. You read her books at your at your peril, but as a kid, uh, kind of like what Carrie said, it can do death. And so, which is not sanitised and beautiful and, and, and lovely, it's sort of, oh my god. <laughs> um, but that one, yeah, a few pointers, but all the Brumby ones were just, I read them and reread yes. them. I did that. My first fan fiction was Silver Brumby. Mine too. Yeah. Wow. I think that, I think that is a, a, an issue. If you're reading a book about an animal protagonist, you must be prepared that there's going to be tragedy and gore yes. in it. There's a question there. Three things. Um, one, Joseph Chipperfield did books about wild horses. Oh yes, Ooh. yes. I I forgot. I I, I never read. Good as Great Heart, the one about the dog. That mm. was just that was one of my favourites. Um, Jane Madger has done some very good sequels to the Jill books. Oh, has she? Okay. It's, wow. When Jill gets packed off to Secretarial College, this Jill fights back. <laughs> good on her. And third, I think Ellen Mitchell did. Her books on domestic horses were as good as the Brumby ones. I mean, Light Horse to Damascus. Yes, which is called from Taparu are easily as good as the Brumby mm. books. 
Thank you. This is great. I, I should have been writing all these down, but luckily I'm recording. So, hooray. Uh, yes, question at the, the back. How'd it be the I'm film? I'm not familiar with any of the books. I think that the equivalent of my school library when I was growing up was the things like Talk of the Otto and yes. and so on. Um, how would you say those differ? I think the thing with Talk of the Otto is that it's almost like it's observed. Mm. Um, you're kind of told, it, they're very educational. This is, this is the life of the otter, this is the life of the, the husky in Alaska. You know, I think that it's much more fact-oriented. Um, there is this thing that you'll hear in education training management that boys like facts and girls have more, more imaginative. This is, of course, rubbish, but mm. people like to categorise. And I think books that were seen to be targeted more at a male audience, it was necessary to educate the youth. I mean, talk, that's quite an old book now. Mm. I, I did read that. I did, and I read, you know, Ring of Bright Water mm. and Born Free, and they were all heartbreaking in a way that but they didn't have the. Well, I think the difference is the Brumby books and Mystery of Chincoteague and Watership Down, which I know you have read, um, are capital R romance, not the sentimental Mills and Boone thing. But the Three Musketeers, uh, the, it, it's got that sensibility, that that kind of mm. exploration of the wild mind in a way that Tarka the Otter doesn't quite, because Tarka the Otter is explaining more, mm. whereas this you just you're just in the mind of, of you're just just you're Thara. Does anybody remember, or am I misremembering this? I have a feeling that Tarka the Otter was read on children's radio. Yes. And I think it might have been a BBC Schools radio. Yes, it was. I remember that. I'm sure, yeah, I, I vaguely remember listening to it when I was at primary school. There was a I've th- never read it, but I've never reread it. I, no, I haven't. I, there was a thing, I don't know, maybe it was just the particular age I am, but there seemed to be a thing for pri- primary school children in the 70s and 80s, where there was almost an obligation to upset them. (laughs) I remember we had this particularly unpleasant teacher who made us, would read to us about things like that awful crash in the Andes where they had to cannibalise each other to survive. (laughs) And there was something else about a family that got sort of shipwrecked and and problems with sharks. And and it was just horrific. And there was another one about a plane crash somewhere in Alaska which again ended in cannibalism. (laughs) This woman was just... But but there was this books that you were kind of official books, like that you were canon, canon children's literature. Yeah. It was often quite painful. And it's almost... I think it was the end of the Victorian mindset that said children must be inculcated with morals and a proper um, understanding Mm. that life is, 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 is a howling wilderness, which Philip Pullman, bless his little cotton socks, not, <laughs> is, is, is resurrecting while complaining about other writers being moralistic. I do, newsflash, I'm not a huge fan. I think that, uh, I, anyway, I, 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 will go, I will save my, my rant about evangelical uh, atheists for another time. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, any other questions? Yeah. Uh, go on, yeah, Barbara, go, go again. 
Hi, it's another recommendation. We had a male primary school teacher, which is quite unusual, yes. with very strong views on books. So we did the boy with the bronze axe and oh, the sword yeah. and so yeah. on. Oh, cool. But one of the books we did was the, it the Island Blue Dolphin. Oh. Yes! Which has to be the ultimate female protagonist. Yes. And she goes back for her brother, but her brother's killed. Yes. Then I can't remember how many years. It's a long time since. Yes. That's such a good book, though. Yes. Yeah. It really is. Yes. Any others? Yes, please. Please go again. Back to Julia. Incidentally, for the, for the radio listeners, Julia is wearing a particularly beautiful top with swans. Yeah. Swans. Yes. Lovely. Um, yes, in, in my youth, I also remember reading a series of books that were this wide by that tall and, and very thick, and they were um, stories. The only one I can remember the name of is, um, oh, what's it called? Something Orphan of Shintagu, and they were all horse stories. Yes, that's, that's Margaret Henry. Dolphin Arabian and how he came yes, to England and King of the wind. and starved and stuff and um the woman who saved the wild horses in america yes this is this is margaret henry's yes. uh i've something water i've forgotten the name of the character yeah, but it's sea something sea star orphan of chinkati king of the wind yeah. misty of chinkati and the, the thing about misty and sea star was they were real horses i mean so was the godolphin arabian she yeah. lived on that island and wow. very closely with the horses and then she told their story yeah. it, as books how fabulous. fabulous. She was a wonderful writer. Ah. Go, uh, uh, yeah, back, uh, at the back. Go, shall we go to the back this first? Lady, uh, she hasn't <laughs> spoken yet. Or this person, sorry. Um, I just want to mention two points. What about the dual books? She's a fantastic protagonist for girls. I mean, I was really admirers of her. She does her own thing. She's got what yes. her social circle, where she sets up between Carter and her own mm. school and the other. But what I was going to recommend with the Jean Tip Finley books, I don't think they're them. And uh, so another girl on the time, and she has a very difficult male, Jinty, which I'm sure I've had a very equivalent of horse in my lifetime. But she also, <coughs> she swaps over into Francis, who is a fantastic reader called Jinty and the Red Pony. Okay. And she swaps over, and most, most of us can't box, not box down because the male is so difficult, and she's got quite interesting male friends, but Jinty um, the Red Pony swaps into Red Fantasy, and it's genuinely extraordinary. I, I mean, I think it is, which has a, a night where. She comes out, I mean, all the rest of us are in this world, but this particular, she goes out of this world with her mare. It's absolutely, it's an extraordinary read, and I really recommend it. Is it set in Scotland? Yes. I think it's I've read story. that. Yes, brilliant. Yeah. Um, Thank it's you. so unusual because it's so out of character for bog standard girls and their ponies. And they're mm. wonderful, you know, that's great, but this one is particularly brilliant, so I highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. Thank you. If we could go back to Dr. Bob then. I know you said Silver Robbie's still in print and, and so on, but is anyone else writing books from the viewpoint of a horse these days? I mean, what, what are modern kids reading above the reprints? Lauren St. John um, writes, I don't think she writes on the viewpoint of horses or viewpoint of animals, but she does write a lot about animals um, and a lot of her. A lot of her books are very um, conservation-based. Mm. Um, there was one... There is... I can actually see the cover of it, but I can't remember what it's called, which is, which is about a horse. Um, I think a lot of books about 
told from the viewpoint of animals are now for slightly younger readers. Yes. So children who are just starting to have mm. the stamina to read uh, a chapter book, as, as, as they're called in, in schools, they are often about animals. And of course, picture books yes. are very much, um, very much about animals uh, and, you know, have animals going off and having adventures. But they're, they're often anthropomorphic. Yeah, warrior cats and things like yes, that. Yes, warrior cats is wonderful. Oh, Varjak Paw. Oh, those are very scary. Very scary. Yes, yes. by uh, S.F. Said, who's a, another wonderful writer. He's, uh, he writes a lot of... Not a lot at all, because it takes him ages to write. Uh, but he, he's mostly a science fiction author, and I love his writing. Uh, but Varjak Poor is about uh, cats doing karate, uh, and, which, and they are scary. They're genuinely, there's a lot of threat in them. Judith Tarr, I mean, Wind in Cairo is the only one that's completely horse viewpoint, but a lot of her books are horse-centric one way or another um, and have, I'm thinking White Mare's Daughter in particular, yeah. um, but also the series she did, she did a series for Luna, which was a Harlequin, short-lived Harlequin fantasy in print under a pseudonym, which I'm blanking on, about, about the Pizzanas, um as magic. And, 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 um, and I'm afraid the other person who writes horses, but that is Mercedes Lackey, Mm. Um, Heralds of Valdemar series, but which I don't like, and the horses are basically people. Um, mm. It's it's really interesting that seems to have been disappeared. Um, but the closest thing actually I can think of that I would say has a similar sensibility is How to Train Your Dragon. Oh yes, they are wonderful, wonderful books. And if you've only ever seen the films, I do recommend reading the books because they are quite different. There's, you can also get audio books read by David Tennant. Yeah, are brilliant, and he does all the voices differently. Yes, they are banned in the car because I laugh so much when I'm driving that I become dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> okay, if we could go go to the back to, to Helen, and then I think we might have to start wrapping up. Uh, so just to add to the animals thing, the Phoenix comic is full of short strips which are basically animals doing sometimes very anthropomorphic, but mostly actually not being. Not animals, as well. The, the funny versus monkey. Yeah. Yes. And they, they're now collected, aren't they, into, into books? You can get new books as well, so, which is great because you can just read you know, 20 copies worth of a story in one go and, mm. and they, they take away torches from small children. So they yeah. And they are very funny. Yeah. I, I, I love funny books as well. Thank you very much. Uh, for listening to Fantasy Book Swap live. Uh, thank you to Jack Sadler-Johnson for the use of his beautiful track, which you will hear when you listen back to that. He's my nephew. He's very, very clever. Until next time, bye! Bye-bye. Oh, Carrie, I should have asked you, where can people find you online? Uh, I'm gen I have a website which I forget to update, but you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Mastodon. Um, on Facebook, I'm Carrie Sparing. On Mastodon, I think I'm at CB Red Writer uh, because uh, newsflash, left-wing politics alert. <laughs> <laughs>
That's great. I will put links to that in the show notes. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Tech. And thank you, Tech.